everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 333 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think can be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about mutual funds, and specifically mutual fund payouts. And you may say, well, this doesn't sound like a fun episode. I'm going to skip to the next one. Well, trust me, there is a lot here that you need to pay attention to, uh, because if you have a 401k, if you invest in mutual funds uh, within an IRA or within a brokerage account, especially, uh, this is going to be uh, relevant to you. And so I want you to understand uh, what is going on with mutual funds, specifically at the end of the year and specifically with uh, their payouts and how that might impact your tax burden. So stick around for all that and more in today's episode. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions and you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day basis. Now, let's just start from a baseline here. And this baseline is, what in the world is a mutual fund? And you may say, well, Dylan, a lot of us know what mutual funds are. Stick with me, because I'm going to have a lot of uh, good, deep stuff for you. But I want people to understand mutual funds first, because you may actually be invested in mutual funds and not even know what a mutual fund is, right? So many people out there have 401ks, 403bs, other types of employer-sponsored retirement plans, right? Uh, And within those plans, more than likely, right, if you have your money invested, that money is invested in mutual funds, a mutual fund of some type, right? Uh, And all that a mutual fund is, it's very, very, very simple, right? Is a mutual fund is this pool of investor money, right? That is managed by some portfolio manager, right? Uh, Based on whatever type of fund it is, And they take those funds and they go out and buy and sell different securities, different stocks, bonds, whatever, right? Whatever uh, the mutual fund uh, is tracking or whatever the mutual fund uh, is trying to invest in, whatever type of mutual fund it may be, right? It goes out and it buys assets, right? And so what the mutual fund does is it provides you uh, with diversification. Diversification, again, meaning uh, that you have a bunch of assets that are not super highly correlated with one another. And even if they are, uh, you have a bunch of them. So you're taking away uh, a lot of the single you know, investment risk, the single company risk. If it's a stock, the uh, you know, single risk of holding one particular company's bonds, whatever, right? Uh, you are taking away uh, some of that risk by holding a bunch of them, right? And it is relatively cheap to hold a bunch uh, of different securities within a mutual fund, right? Because you are buying a share of the mutual fund, not uh, buying shares of each of the companies that you're purchasing uh, shares of stock of within the mutual fund or whatever else, right? So it's very uh, cheap. It's a a good way to diversify, right? Uh, But mutual fund companies... Uh, you know, they a lot of these mutual fund companies, at least, uh, they also offer us ETFs, right, which are exchange traded funds. And there's a reason that exchange traded funds exist, and there's a reason that uh, they differ from mutual funds. Now, the differences aren't 
huge, uh, but the differences are still significant, right? Whereas a mutual fund is a pool of money within this mutual company, right? Where everybody is putting money in and then that's, that money is being used uh, in order to purchase things. Uh, or as that money comes out, then uh, the manager is having to sell things to get those people their money back, whatever, right? That's what a mutual fund's doing. But an ETF is doing something different, right? An ETF, yes, it has inflows and outflows, certainly, right? Uh, but ETFs have shares that are exchange traded, right? Which means that if I'm buying or selling shares of an ETF, yes, it's a fund. Yes, uh, it invests in these different assets, right? Uh, but ultimately, I am buying and selling shares from other investors, right? Not uh, from the company itself. So every time that I uh, buy a share, right, or buy uh, you know shares of an ETF, then you know the company is not getting my money and then the portfolio manager allocating more money uh, into whatever it is, right? That's not how this is going. I'm just buying it from another investor, okay? And when I sell uh, the company who you know creates the ETF, the, the manager is not having to go uh, and create money from uh, the holdings to give me my money back. Again, I'm just selling uh, and getting money from uh, another investor, now, ultimately, yes, inflows and outflows, they do matter. Uh, but you can see here that there's a staunch difference. And that staunch difference can create a taxable event for you, right? Especially if you are holding mutual funds. So let's talk about it just a little bit. Now, it's been a banner year for actively managed mutual funds with 21.1% average growth uh, through October, according to Morningstar, which is crazy, right? Crazy growth. However, Year-end payouts may soon put a damper on double-digit returns, triggering tax bills for funds in brokerage accounts, right? Uh, when a fund manager sells underlying assets at a profit without losses to offset it, they must pass those gains to shareholders along with dividend income. And this happens in a mutual fund setup, right? This is what I was uh, speaking to a moment ago. The payout will typically happen once per year in December after the fund announces an estimate in late October or early November. While the gains aren't a problem in tax-deferred accounts, right? So if you have a 401k, this is not going to be something that you deal with. But if you hold uh, these types of funds within a brokerage account, this is going to be uh, a problem, right? This is going to be something that you have to deal with, right? Because obviously any tax-deferred or tax-free uh, account, this, you know, gains aren't going to be an issue, right? It's not going to be an issue uh, when you have any type of um, realized gain. But uh, in a brokerage account, a taxable brokerage account, it will be. Okay. So it always throws a little wrench uh, when you're doing end of year tax planning uh, for, you know, anyone, right? Uh, if you're doing it for yourself, you're helping somebody else do their taxes, right? Uh, these payouts, they can throw a little wrench in it, especially if you have substantial assets within uh, a brokerage account. Now, after receiving a mutual funds estimate, investors have until the date of record or the last day uh, to be listed for a payout to make ownership changes, right? So if there's been no growth, uh, they may consider selling before the date of record and then rebuying after the payout, right? This would seem to make sense because then uh, you could avoid taxes in the first place. Now, however, if investors sell at a loss and repurchase at substantially identical um, you know, amounts or substantially identical uh, funds within 30 days, they may violate the so-called wash sale rules and the IRS won't recognize the loss for tax purposes, right? Uh, so ultimately, at the end of every year, you can 
realize a gain, not just within mutual funds, but in the asset, right? You could realize gains or losses, okay? And if you took a loss, not just for a year, but if you have a loss on a particular asset, and let's say it's within a year, right? You could sell that asset and get a tax write-off for that loss. But you must stay out of uh, that particular asset in that amount, uh, or like I said a moment ago, a substantially identical uh, you know amount of a particular asset that is um, you know very very close in uh, you know what you're invested in within 30 days, right? You have to stay out of it for 30 days. Um, therefore, you aren't just you know selling for the loss and then immediately repurchasing it, right? That would be kind of a um, you know, kind of a you know way around the system and ultimately they close that up. So you have to stay out of that investment for 30 days. Not that difficult, but you can absolutely do it. Selling appreciated funds is tricky though, uh, since it triggers taxable gains and the profits may be larger than the fund's estimated payout. Moreover, offloading assets to avoid a payout may not align with someone's investing plan. Okay. Uh, so ultimately, if you're selling funds uh, and realizing gains, that can be a very big deal, especially if you're triggering short-term gains, right? Because we know that there is a difference. There's a difference between gains uh, within one year of purchase and then gains uh, over more than a year. Now, the difference here uh, and the the issue with a mutual fund when it comes to these gains and these potential um, you know taxes that you may have to pay, especially when it comes to actively managed mutual funds, uh, is that these actively managed mutual funds are buying and selling things within them all the time. And they're using your money to do so. Okay. Uh, so whenever they buy or sell, right, uh, they're having to uh, balance these gains and these losses within the fund, not just the uh, you know price of the fund shares themselves, but the assets within the fund, right? Because just because you bought shares of the mutual fund, let's say, three years ago, and you've just held them to now, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be a tax liability for you at the end of a year, right? Because within the year, right, uh, the uh, you know particular portfolio manager may do a lot of buying and selling of assets. So just because you've held the mutual fund for three or four years, right, uh, doesn't mean that you've held all of the assets within the mutual fund for three or four years. You may have only held some of those assets for three or four months, Right? And let's say you do some selling at the end of the year. Not only uh, are there taxes associated with the fact that you uh, are realizing a gain on the shares of the mutual fund, uh, there are going to be short-term taxes, right? these short-term capital gains that are taxed at your income tax rate uh, that you will have to pay for uh, because you don't hold all the assets for a year or more. Right, And that's an issue with the mutual fund that the ETF actually fixes for us, right? The ETF actually does something different, okay? And so let's just explain real quick exactly what the ETF does because I want you to be, um, you know, well versed in both uh, and understand why I talk about both on this show. So ETFs can be more tax efficient compared to traditional mutual funds. Generally, holding an ETF in a taxable account will generate less tax liabilities than if you held a similarly structured mutual fund in the same account, right? And we know uh, that you know there are identical ETFs and mutual funds out there, right? Uh, so from the perspective of the IRS, the tax treatment of ETFs and mutual funds are the same. Both are subject to capital gains tax and taxation of dividend income. However, ETFs are structured in such a manner that taxes are minimized for the holder of the ETF and the ultimate tax bill after the ETF is sold and capital gains is incurred is less than what the investor would have paid with a similarly structured mutual fund. 
Okay, so in essence, there are fewer taxable events in conventional ETF structures than in a mutual fund, uh, and here is why. A mutual fund portfolio manager must constantly rebalance the fund by selling securities to accommodate shareholder redemptions or to reallocate assets, right? So this is another big thing, right? Uh, the portfolio manager is having to keep up with all of the redemptions that are occurring, right? As people sell shares of the fund itself, they are having to sell assets within the fund to give uh, those individuals their money, right? And then they're also having to keep certain balances within the fund uh, and reallocate their assets. The sale of securities within the mutual fund portfolio creates capital gains for the shareholders, uh, even for shareholders who may have an unrealized loss uh, in the overall mutual fund investment. In contrast, an ETF manager accommodates investment inflows and outflows by creating or redeeming creation units, which are baskets of assets that approximate the entirety of the ETF investment exposure. As a result, the investor usually is not exposed to capital gains on any individual security in the underlying structure. So again, there's, there's that big deal, right? That big uh, tax advantage of the ETF. In the ETF, you are not having to pay taxes on the gains or losses of the individual underlying securities, right? But again, with the mutual fund, like I said just a moment ago, even if you're a shareholder who has an unrealized loss on the overall mutual fund investment, you may still uh, have capital gains that have to be paid or that offset that loss based on the fact uh, that there was selling and, and realization of capital gains that occurred within the mutual fund itself, right? Within those individual um, you know, assets in the mutual fund. Now, to be fair to mutual funds, managers take advantage of carrying capital losses from prior years, tax loss harvesting, and other tax mitigation strategies to diminish uh, the import of annual capital gains taxes. So again, you can use losses to uh, offset. But what do we know? We know that the stock market goes up a lot more than it goes down. So having losses is far less common uh, than having gains. So those gains are going to be there and you're likely going to have to pay them. In addition, index mutual funds are far more tax efficient than actively managed mutual funds because of lower turnover. So uh, this is why, and I've told you guys before, if you are going to invest uh, into a taxable brokerage account, right? If you're doing some investing in a taxable brokerage account, it may be most useful to you uh, to hold either ETFs within it, right? Or uh, you hold mutual funds that are index mutual funds, right? And these index funds are not going to have a lot of turnover within the fund, right? Just uh, the redemptions that are occurring all of the time, right? But uh, those don't tend to create a huge tax burden on the investor. At least I haven't found it to be so because I hold uh, index mutual funds within uh, a brokerage account and I don't see it to be uh, a big tax issue, right? They are far more tax efficient. But if you hold some of these actively managed funds, especially those with higher turnover, then get ready for the potential uh, capital gains that come along with this. Now, for the most part, ETF managers are able to manage the secondary market transactions in a manner that minimizes the chances of an in-fund capital gains event. It's rare for an index-based ETF to pay out a capital gain. When it does occur, uh, it's usually due to some special unforeseen circumstance. Of course, investors who realize a capital gain after selling an ETF are subject to the capital gains tax. Uh, again, these are uh, 0, 15, or 20% based on your income. Uh, and then ultimately, uh, if it's in the short term, it may be your uh, income tax rate that you must pay. Now, what about ETF dividends, right? 
Well, ETF dividends are taxed according to how long the investor has owned the ETF fund. If the investor has held the fund for more than 60 days before the dividend was issued, the dividend is considered a qualified dividend uh, and is taxed anywhere from 0 to 20% depending on the investor's income tax rate. If the dividend was held less than 60 days uh, before the dividend was issued, uh, then the dividend income is taxed at the investor's ordinary income tax rate. This is similar to how mutual fund dividends are also treated. Okay, so this is just things that we need to know. We need to know this about ETFs. We need to know what the advantages and disadvantages are so we can make the best decisions possible. This is not me saying at all, don't buy mutual funds, right? Because especially within our retirement accounts, we don't really have many other choices at this point, right? Uh, but the ETFs, right, they can be extremely valuable to us. And like I said, I hold mutual funds within uh, a, a taxable brokerage account, and they are indexed mutual funds because of the turnover, because of the tax efficiency. Um, and that's a perfectly fine way to do it. And I do that that way uh, if I want to purchase because I you know, have my accounts with Vanguard, right? Uh, if I am constantly trying to purchase month after month, uh, then I can put in any amount and it'll automatically buy shares. Whereas uh, with Vanguard, you can't buy uh, partial shares. So I can't just put any amount into an ETF and it actually buy full shares. I'm trying to do automatic investing like I've told you guys to do many, many times, right? Uh, and in doing that automatic investing, uh, I would like the money to automatically be invested and not have to wait till I have enough to buy a, a certain amount of shares uh, exactly in order to invest like I would have to with an ETF, okay? Uh, but there are other places where you can buy partial shares and that's not a problem at all, okay? Now, Investors also need to be mindful about future mutual fund purchases, particularly uh, through the end of the year. If you buy the day before the date of record, you will get the tax hit, right? So this is something you need to pay attention to. And you might have owned it for just three days, but you might still get that potential tax hit. Now, after reviewing the estimated payout, investors looking to avoid extra levies uh, may purchase a mutual fund after the date of record or keep the fund in a tax-friendly account right? Um, now, there's also tax loss harvesting, okay? Now, this is a very big deal, and as we get closer to the end of the year, this is something that you need to take heed of. I've done an episode on this before, uh, and maybe you should go back and give that a listen, or maybe I'll even revisit it before the end of the year, right? But while advisors typically seek, uh, you know, stock market dips to offset gains by selling losing assets through so-called tax loss harvesting, continued growth has made the strategy more difficult to use. Like I said earlier, right, as the stock market continues to go up, uh, it's difficult to find losses to offset gains. Okay, the stock market has not given us the opportunity uh, a lot over the past few years. However, if there's any pullback through the end of the year, advisors may consider selling some assets depending on the client's goals, right? Uh, and again, this is only in taxable brokerage accounts because that's the only accounts in which it's going to matter, okay? But tax loss harvesting can be extremely valuable. You just have to pay attention to those wash sale rules, right? But you can harvest some of your losses and have it at, at, you know, either offset some of your gains uh, or have it take away the potential gains that you uh, would end up having to pay. Now, in the meantime, investors expecting payouts may work with an advisor to try to reduce levies uh, through the year-end tax planning moves. Now, while it may be difficult for some investors to bypass this year's tax hit, um, you know, advisors suggest a proactive approach for the future. 
Okay. Uh, it's really about being transparent and knowing what your capital gain situation is all year long. For example, many advisors consider tax efficiency when building portfolios, opting for mutual funds with less turnover and fewer distributions, but some taxable gains may still happen. A lot of advisors try to make it a part of their communication from the beginning uh, and through the time that they're working together with a client uh, to reframe uh, exactly what the tax situation is going to look like. Because, yes, some advisors are going to be like, let's be tax efficient, right? Uh, let's you know, really pay attention to what the tax burden may be uh, for this particular type of investing. But uh, one, other advisors may not take this into account as much, and in which case you may need a new advisor, right? Because uh, this is a very big deal. Or two, an advisor may be like, well, you know, this actively managed fund beats the market by so much uh, that the offsetting, you know, taxes are not going to be that big a deal. Which, if you find something uh, that is, you know, outpacing the taxes that you may have to pay on it uh, in such a way that you know, you're willing to uh, have a lot of turnover and willing to have a lot of capital gains that you are taxed on, then you know, sign me up because there aren't that many things out there. Uh, that are able to do that. That's why I say, you know, being tax efficient, buying tax efficient uh, index funds and ETFs within uh, a, a taxable brokerage account can be the most useful way because it's simple and it's going to be hard to beat over time. So what's the ultimate, you know, underlying idea here? The underlying idea here is that if you don't know that this is the case and you do own mutual funds within a brokerage account, then you need to be aware of this. And ultimately, we need to be aware of the taxable situation for all of our assets, right? At the end of any year, and I think this is something that uh, the retail crowd and especially the Robin Hood crowd uh, is not too privy to, but they need to get privy to very quickly uh, or else some of them are going to get a rude awakening come tax time. Right, we've had these big years of stock market gains, right? And if, and if this year was your first year uh, in the stock market and you made some really outsized gains, taking a lot of risk, then fantastic, good for you, right? I'm glad that you made those gains. But ultimately, if you realize those gains, uh, then the taxes that you may see on the other side may be huge, right? You may see some very, very large tax burdens uh, if you are not paying attention, if you're not understanding uh, what taxes look like, right? Because ultimately. Any asset, any financial asset uh, that we are holding for less than a year, you have to pay your income tax rate, your income tax rate on uh, the gain that you realized, right? So let's just say uh, that you owned a stock that doubled, which could very well be the case, right? And let's say you had $1,000 of that stock and that stock doubled uh, and then it turned into $2,000. Fantastic. Well, let's say you sold at that point. You have a $1,000 gain, Okay. So just for example, let's say you're in a 20% tax bracket or 22% tax bracket, right? You're going to owe $220 on that $1,000 gain. And that's not even the most extreme of examples, but that's just a simple example to show you uh, exactly how this is going to work. And not to mention, that's just based on federal taxes. You also owe state taxes uh, on those gains as well. But again, if you hold for more than a year, it's going to be more beneficial to you. You are um, given the incentive as an investor to hold longer, right? That's why buy and hold investing is so uh, important, especially when it comes to taxable investing, because uh, you can decrease your tax burden. You can decrease the amount of taxes that you're going to pay on whatever assets it is that you are realizing gains on. Look, this is a fact of life. Ultimately, if you are doing taxable investing, right, you're going to end up with capital gains eventually. Now, this is unless you are buying 
I don't know, let's say just a share of stock and holding on to that share of stock and it pays no dividend uh, and you just hold that share of stock forever and just keep buying into it or whatever it may be, right? But if you're going to buy funds, then there's going to be capital gains, right? And um, uh, like I said earlier, most years, uh, those capital gains are not going to be so large uh, that you have to worry too much about it, especially uh, if you are in something that has low turnover, especially if you're, you're in something that is indexed uh, like I am within my taxable accounts, it can be very simple. Now, if you want the exposure to some of these active funds, right, the best place to do that may actually be into some of your tax deferred and tax free accounts, right? It may be within your Roth IRA. It may be within your traditional IRA or your 401k or whatever, right? Uh, and the reason that this is, is because again, we're not having to pay uh, capital gains tax on uh, any of the realized gains. You don't have to pay taxes on them, right? Those taxes are uh, in the traditional sense, either deferred to the future where you pay uh, your income tax rate on any uh, distributions you make, or in the Roth sense, it's all tax-free, right? It grows tax-free and then you take the money out tax-free later, right? So that's why I say a lot of times, if you're going to trade stocks, let's say, right, which I don't necessarily condone trading far too often, but let's say you did, right? Uh, one of the best places to do it is within an IRA, uh, because you can, uh, you know, trade in and out of things, get short-term gains, all these different types of things, and not have to pay any taxes on any of those situations, which is super beneficial, right? And the same holds for actively managed mutual funds. If you have actively managed mutual funds, it may be best uh, to hold those funds within your Roth IRA, within your traditional IRA. That way, uh, you have the most tax-efficient situation for you and your family possible. Okay. Ultimately, I don't want you to be afraid of taxes because we all ultimately have to pay taxes at some point somehow, right? Whether you're just paying it on your income or uh, whether you're paying it on the growth of your assets, you're having to pay taxes, right? But I want us to be tax efficient. And some people think that tax efficiency is tax avoidance, and that's just not true. It's just being um, very strategic with the way that you you know schedule uh, your you know need to pay taxes. Because ultimately, uh, let's be clear about something. And I know this is a little off the cuff and a little uh, off of the topic, but uh, just think about you know the richest in our society, right? The billionaire class in our society. Everybody gets so mad that they don't pay so much in taxes. Look. I'm not saying that it's right that they don't pay as much in taxes, right? But ultimately, if you had the ability to not pay as much in taxes, obviously you do so. Obviously, that's why we have this type of conversation about mutual funds is so you can know and you can ultimately pay less in taxes, right? It's not a matter of, um, you know, avoidance. It's a matter of knowing how to play the game. It's a matter of knowing how uh, to look at a particular situation and minimize your tax burden. That's all we are trying to do. That's all billionaires are trying to do, right? Now, is that to say that the tax laws are correct? No, it's not to say that the tax laws are correct. It's just to say, uh, if you could take advantage of it, why wouldn't you, right? So ultimately, with these mutual funds and what we are learning here, uh, if you can take advantage of, um, you know, low turnover within taxable accounts, then that may be uh, something smart for you. Or uh, if you could take advantage of some of your uh, tax deferred and tax free accounts and put some of your higher turnover funds in those particular accounts, then that can be useful for you as well. Ultimately, I want you to decrease the amount of taxes you pay because if you decrease the amount of taxes you pay, you increase uh, your net returns, right? Because net returns are all after what? It's after uh, taxes and fees. 
okay? Or taxes and transaction costs and fees and whatever else, right? And these net net returns is what I want to maximize. And the more we pay in taxes, the lower net returns we're going to have. I want to maximize those net returns by decreasing our tax liability. Look, I'm not saying that mutual funds are bad. I'm not saying that mutual funds should be avoided. I'm just saying that you need to be as educated and well-versed uh, in these investment vehicles as possible. Because even though they've been around for a long time, even though uh, they are widely used, that does not mean that there aren't some caveats like these mutual fund payouts that you need to understand uh, so that you can be the most efficient in your tax preparation and the most efficient in getting uh, the highest net returns possible. Uh, so let's just be very diligent, learn right? Dig in deeper into the type of investments we have, because my guess is some of you didn't even know that this was the case. And maybe we're confused as to why you had uh, taxes on your mutual funds in years past. But this is the case. This is why uh, that is uh, occurring within your accounts. But maybe now you can make better decisions and understand better how to move forward uh, and be better in your tax efficiency. Because I don't want you to pay very much in taxes. I want you to pay as little in taxes uh, in a legal manner as you can, because I promise you this, I will be doing the exact same thing. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions and you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. So tune in tomorrow as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.